I'm Thomas Mumford, Vice President of Exploration at Scotty Resources. We are a Canadian-based uh, exploration company exploring in the Golden Triangle of BC. We're focused on high-grade gold around a past-producing gold mine, and we're finding new discoveries in and around that historic uh, asset. Thomas, uh, thank you for the introduction. Nice to meet you. Um, Scotty Resources, um, I'm, I confess I'm relatively new to this, this story, um, but I, I know a little bit about the Golden Triangle. And um, when I looked at your um, website and your presentation and your kind of marketing materials, I was kind of impressed by the, the gold grade. So absolutely, it's really nice to see those, those chunky uh, gold grades there. But um, come to set the scene, could you... Um, First of all, could you produce a map just, just, just to kind of so that I can orientate myself, um, just kind of sure. understand where you are in the Golden Triangle? And um, I noticed one of the things that came up in the in the presentation was that you, you talk about infrastructure changing or infrastructure is improving. So if you could just mention some some of the changes that are underway and how that might affect your geography, that'd be really useful. Yeah, so we're in the Golden Triangle of BC, uh, very prospective, uh, very mining rich jurisdiction, <clears throat> but it's, it's, it's long been held as a difficult area to work. And that's largely because of the infrastructure in the area. Um, you know, if you look at other top tier jur mining jurisdictions in the world, like the Abitibi, uh, South Africa, you've got all this built up infrastructure. And so the, the, the bar to have a deposit be economic is so much lower for those when you have a mill just down the road, when you have a power line, when you have a road. When you're looking at Scotty Resources up in the Golden Triangle, one of the big things for us relative to our peers in the Golden Triangle is the amount of infrastructure that are, is in and around it. And that's just a function of the amount of mining that's been going on in the Golden Triangle over the last 40 or 50 years. And the number of projects that have developed uh, from, a, from a, you know, a, a pure exploration discovery to a mine, uh, to you know, going back in and even looking at tailings on some of these things. Like that's where at that peak, and, and that part of the uh, the infrastructure cycle on a lot of these projects. Um, and so that that national highway is that a national highway thirty seven there that I can see kind of coming up through that map. Yeah, a um, provincial highway for BC. Yeah, it goes all the way. That would be the Alaskan highway that goes all the way up to Alaska through BC. And is that a year round road? Can you can you drive that? Oh oh yeah, absolutely. Yes. And um, below Premier and kind of um, south of Scotty through Premier, there's a, is that a waterway that I can see there? Is that used or is that a, is that just yep, a? That's, that's the uh, Stewart Canal or the Portland Canal that attaches up to Stewart. So Stewart is just south of Premier. Premier is one of the uh, historic mine. It's being reactivated right now by Ascot Resources. And it, historically, it was one of the largest gold producers in North America. Okay. And so how do you get your stuff into, how do you get your drill rigs? How do you support your camp? Um, you know, when you, when you talk about infrastructure, are you heli supported or do you drive in or do you boat in or what's the Yeah. So route? I'll just go into a, a zoomed in map here at the Southern end of this golden triangle here. This is our land package here on the right side of the screen. You've got Scotty in yellow. Uh, you've got Ascot in this uh, lighter gray and then green. You've got Newcrest who just recently bought uh, Predium's, uh, Predium's Bruce Jack mine. So they entirely right. bought out that company for three yeah. and a half billion dollars. But if you're looking at infrastructure here, you've got that Portland canal that goes right up to the town of Stewart. And that's about 40 kilometers south of us. There is two companies currently shipping uh, concentrate out of the Port of Stewart. So you've got uh, Newcrest, well, sorry, two deposits. So you've got Newcrest now owns Bruce Jack. So they're shipping a, a high grade gold concentrate out of there. And then Newcrest also has the Red Chris mine and they're shipping a, a copper concentrate out of Stewart as well. 
So the, um, the, the sorry, the, the the Bruce Jack Gold Con does that go out on a boat? Yes. Yeah. And when you say that uh, um, Port of Stewart is forty k's south of you, does that mean? Um, and because you've got three license areas, one to the immediate northeast of yep. Port of Stewart, one to the south, and the one which actually says Scotty Gold, which yes. that's presumably that's the 40 kilometers to the north. Yeah, so Scotty Gold up here is that's what I'm referring to, the actual historic Scotty Gold mine, which is where most of our exploration is in around there within 10 kilometers of the historic Scotty Gold mine. Um, we do do grassroots uh, greenfields exploration on the other terrain that we have, but most of our drilling is focused up here at Scotty, and that's where most of our dollars go. And there is a road that goes from the Port of Stewart all the way up to our camp. Uh, historically, there was a mill just two kilometers north of where we uh, where we are working right now, and that was for the mm -hmm. Grand Duke Mine over here. So this was an all-season road. So this was used all year round to access the mine back in the early '80s. And is it still all season? I mean, can you still, can you run a winter campaign if you want to? If you wanted to, you could still run a winter campaign. We don't spend the money to plow this, the road at this point. We operate during the summer only just to keep the, the cost per, per meter drill down. Yeah. And what's the, what's the kind of rainfall area, um, kind of annual rainfall is there? Is it a couple of meters? Oh, it's, it's very it high precipitation area. Yeah, very high. I don't know what the actual numbers would be, but there's but tens the of feet of snow in the winter. Okay, okay. okay. Geologically speaking, mm -hmm. what do you? What is this area characterized by? Uh, there's a number of very uh, prominent north-south structures throughout the area that host a lot of the gold and copper deposits. And so there's a number of these features. You've got the SK Rift in the area as well, which was synonymous with the, the historic uh, SK mine, one of the highest grade mold, gold mines ever to operate. Um, so we are on, on one of these major north-south uh, structures, um, and, and we're in Jurassic Age rocks largely. So Jurassic Age rocks, um, Scotty Gold, it was just looking through your presentation, it seems as if it was kind of um, small-scale mining, narrow vein, um, mm -hmm. kind of going in uh, on a number of little portholes, almost kind of following their nose, kind of mining oh, yeah. mining. Mining just ahead of themselves, or kind of defining just ahead of their um, development. What what took you back in there? And so, sorry, I haven't even done the kind of introduction. We you know how did you come to join the company, and you know what's your association with it been? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> for a number of years, I've been working in the Canadian exploration industry all across Canada. When I finished my PhD, I actually joined uh, BCIT, which is a British Columbia Institute of Technology, and I was a, a instructor, and then I became the program head. And then we developed a mining engineering program. But part of that institute was that there was non, no research component to it. So I had my summers largely free to go out and do exploration for various companies across Canada. And I was doing that for a number of years, seven or eight years. I was kind of going and looking at, you know, great green fields to brownfield sites, uh, major drill programs to, you know, putting the first hole in the ground or just doing ground truthing. And so I, I got to see a lot of rocks across the country and, and, you know, my last year before I joined Scotty, I was doing some rope access work in one of these projects. And then I was just down the road from another company that was starting up a relog program. So they're looking at historic core in a mine. And I was just kind of sent in there to get these a number of geologists ready to go and to make sure they were looking at the right things in the rocks and categorizing, characterizing and sampling. And that, that project ended up being Scotty Gold. And I went in, it was just a camp. There was like four or five of us. Uh, the CEO was the cook at the time. So Brad, who's the CEO now, is still the, still the cook sometimes. But um, yeah, I went in, met Brad, really liked the geology. Um, it was a small tenure, but it had an easy story. Um, just to the south of us, Ascot was, you know, refurbishing and getting ready to reactivate an old mill. 
we were sitting on a historic brownfields, high-grade gold mine that had never been properly explored. And you kind of mentioned it. It was something where they found the vein at surface and started mining it, and they just kind of poked along. And when I look back at the, you know, the historic drilling data, the historic sampling, and the fact that the glaciers in the area had had massive retreats since the early 80s when this actually operated, I saw an easy upside on, okay, well, we can fuse. We can advance this. We can add that. You know, they've never drilled out here. Um, it's, it's obviously a continuation. So there was an easy story for me to see geologically. And so I became you know, pretty invested in the company and eventually quit my job and joined full-time. And that was about five years ago. Okay. So, and when, when did, when did um, sorry, I should know this, but when did the company, I, I, I see that the, the first drill hole was drilled in 2019. That's right. You kind of drilled yeah. 600 meters in 2019. So obviously um, if you were out, so five years ago, we're in our kind of 2017, you, you got on board, you, you were involved in that early drill program. You drilled yep. what it was. Um, Just 2000 meters. meters in total that year. 600 was at that blueberry target that you're probably referring to. Oh, okay. To. And that you got that great uh, intersection, whatever it was, um, 35 meters at seven grams a ton. Yeah. 7.4. Yeah, 7. Was... Let's, let's not forget the 0. 0.4. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah. And that was, that was a bit of a surprise to us, to be honest. Um, we drilled, we had two, a 2000 meter drill program. It was very end of the season. Gold hit a, a technical moment there and we said, okay, well, we're going to go for it. It looked like gold was going to go for it. It was, I think, just over 1400 an ounce after sitting at 13, 1350 for a long time. And yeah, we launched it in like 10 days. We had our drill targets picked out well in advance, but we were focusing on grassroots greenfield stuff, kind of looking for other signs and symptoms around the area. And we went in and drilled this 2000 meter drill program. And the last hold of the year was the one that you know hit really big at Blueberry. I'll just, I'll just bring up a slide there just to kind of put that in the context. Yeah, please do. Please do. Um, and what did you, apart from the, the, the gold grade, what was the geology that you were intersecting? Yeah, so the geology was there's a vein that outcrops at surface right here. And that was a historic vein that was known about. And now the, the geology at Scotty itself, uh, while it's high grade veins, they're a little bit unique in character. They're puritite, uh, pyrite rich veins, uh, very steeply dipping. You know, they've got quartz carbonate shear vein bands within them. And that's where the gold grade really seems to, to, to punch above its, its, uh, its grade. And, you know, we're getting hundreds of grams per ton in, in some of these zones. There's a vein that was very similar that outcrops at surface and just off the road. And that was called the blueberry vein historically. And it strikes to the Northeast. Uh, it dips a little bit more moderately to the Northwest. And it had seen a few drill holes, but it was only drilled down to about 40 meters depth. So we went in and we were saying, you know, like how far does this vein extend? I'm just seeing that the size of this one vein. And so we drilled this hole targeting at a depth of about hundred meters, but in advance of hitting that vein, we hit that big wide zone of, of, of mm. moderate grade or high grade mineralization. And we just didn't really understand it because the rocks that we were sampling didn't look all that sexy. It looked, didn't look like something we would normally sample at surface relative to what the mineralization was character characterized uh, for the veins itself and known historically. So sorry, sorry, just, just to get my head around this. So that the yellow trace on the surface, that's the yeah. outcrop of a distinctive vein, which is subvertical. Uh, no, and this one, this one is uh, dips into the Northwest. So, okay. Dips into the Northwest. And yeah. as it dips underneath your drill pad, yeah. you were expecting to hit it at a downhole depth of a hundred or something. hundred. Yeah. And yet above that, you hit a zone which was very well mineralized, but didn't look juicy to your eye. 
Exactly. Yeah. So the vein itself is pure type pyrite. It's a massive sulfide uh, vein. And where we are drilling it at surface, it's about four meters wide. It's a very obvious structure. And it doesn't have a lot of alteration around the margins because um, we can see these things at surface. What we hit was this uh, very black zone. It, it was, it's hosted in, in an andesite here, really intense chloritization. We've got disseminated pyrite and pyrite in there. Um, and the, the, the zone held together very well. It's not like we have a couple really high grade zones and we're just smearing it out over that. Uh, the grade holds really well across that entire interval. And is that a new type of target for this area? I mean, it, it, it was for us. So we, you know, at first we didn't really understand what we had we'd come into. Um, we had an inclination that there was a north-south structure there. And so when we went back in the next year, because we had drilled this the last whole of the year, we didn't get the results back until December like three or four months later, this was kind of when the lab started backing up and backing up. So we went in the following year and we drilled in and around that to try to understand it, not targeting that vein anymore, but trying to see if there was something else that was causing the mineralization. And so when we did that, we had quite a bit of success, both mapping at the surface and surface sampling, as well as the drilling. And we found there was a north-south structure there. So you can see that we drilled to the south of the vein, we drilled to the north of the vein, and when I show a long section in a minute, you can see that we actually follow a plunge line down there or an apparent plunge line at least. And then at surface, we started mapping out high-grade surface samples along a north-south conduit, which this is basically in line with the valley bottom. So there's a lot of um, synergies with the, the, the regional structures in the area as well. Okay, because that the, the, the trace of the vein at surface or the outcrop of the vein at surface is not directly north-south it might be oblique it no. might be a secondary structure exactly but you're effectively saying that the the, the 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 mineralization appears to be better correlated with the regional structure north-south yeah and so when we went in we drilled these holes we were able to kind of build a geological model about what was causing the mineralization and what we found is right in the middle of this there's a contact between an andesite on the left and a siltstone on the right and so if you map out that contact you can actually test that as the mineralizing main, the primary control feature on this structure. And that's what we did. We basically mapped out that contact and then said, let's drill it along strike to see if it holds together, see if that's the main controlling feature. And so the obvious targets were up where the road is, where if there's a north-south structure, let's drill it off the road where we can actually pinpoint where those contacts are. And no, we just, also had some- So, so sorry, just, just to interrupt, is that contact a structural contact? It's a uh, so, lithological it contact. So it's a lithological contact, but it's sub-parallel to the major, major uh, regional structures. So it could be structural. Yes. Yeah, I mean, we see jogs on it, but it does look like a lithological contact where we actually see, see it in core. Like it does look like a natural transition from an andesite, a, a py uh, pyroclastic andesite package into a, a siltstone. And then we go into andesitic layers outside of that as well. So it does look like it's continuous package. And it, it, it does... The mineralization, the, the, the fluids, kind of is that driven by kind of rheological or competency contrast between the two rocks? That's the model where we're following right now. Is that this contract, this contrast between these two lithologies, is what's you know at least limiting the the, the mineralization and causing it to form there. We get about eighty percent of the grade in the andesite, and about twenty percent extends into the siltstone. And so when we mapped out that contact, which is this dashed yellow line here, we went in and drilled it. So this is the third third campaign basically. So this is kind of annual uh, progressions here. So that first was the first yeah, hole yeah. in 2019, we did 2020. This year we went in and we drilled off the road right to start up to the north and yeah. then to the south. And then we had some historic uh, 
basically we could see the rocks here. There was some historic workings that surface up here. So we drilled in here as well. And then we focused on that middle zone as well. And I mean, the, the grades held together fantastic. We were now, we we're well away from the blueberry vein. We could show the mineralization was related to this contact. Yep. And now we've got a huge amount of running room on this system. That's um, top left uh, intersection, 35 grams over 12 meters. I mean, that's a stonking intercept, isn't it? Yeah, and that's that's like 25 meters from surface as well. And you're just off of that road that goes down to the Port of Stewart. And you and on the way to Port of Stewart, you have to drive by Ascot's Mill. So it just kind of highlights the infrastructure in the area and the accessibility of this potential ore. What's okay? So if, if I, I go onto the right hand side, you can see that yeah. um, the the third one up from the bottom is fifteen point three grams per ton gold over thirteen point four nine meters. Yeah. And so I'd like, yeah, I'd like to show bottom, you that long section. That's at the bottom of the hole, and is that in the siltstone? Yeah, that I, would I, be in the siltstone exactly. Yeah. So, okay. and if you if we look at a long section of these his, these grades, so this this is the north end over on the right or the left hand side, and the south and the right. Mm -hmm. Looking at it to the east here, that hit is down here. That was our deepest hit that we've drilled so far to date. Uh, so that's at about 225 meters from surface to, to, to the hit that zone. Um, we haven't drilled anything deeper than that. This is entirely open at depth. And you can see these apparent plunge lines with the, the model contour model here. And it's, it's largely just based on our drill density and drill, um, drilling to date. We haven't drilled in these large green areas We've been following what we think was an intersection lineation at surface and kind of projecting it down and success begets success. So, you know, you keep hitting, you might as well keep following it. Um, I think we're at the point now that when we go in this year, we will be drilling these voids. And one of the reasons there's voids in, in the drill data is at surface, there's till coverage. Um, so we just didn't see anything at surface where in these other areas, we actually had surface control. So we were able to pin exactly where the contact was, continue it down. Now we have the evidence to connect these zones and then push it down as well. The um, median width. Um, the median width. I haven't actually calculated it out, um, but I mean, okay. we're in. But, but do you do you kind of think? Do you consider this to be kind of a five meter thick structure, or kind of in, yeah. between two two and fifteen? Or when I'm kind of doing my back of the envelope calculations about how big this is, I usually use a, like a thirty gram meter hit as an average median um, kind of conservative hit, which is, yeah. you know, like five meters at six grams would be equivalent grades for that kind of gram meter hit. And as, as far as strike length on this, so we've drilled it out to about 720 meters at this point. Um, but we can trace that contact hundreds and hundreds of meters to the south and to the north, we've got 10 or a hundred meters before we hit a fault that will offset it. And we know where the offset is and, and we're kind of targeting that as well. But to the south, we've got four, 400 meters before we basically we, we lose the geology under the lake bed, the historic lake bed that's, you know, covered in sediments, but it's actually drained. So you can actually drain, uh, drill on the lake bed itself. From surface, you mentioned till cover, you mentioned lake bed sediments. Um, and there's a, there's a cross-cutting fault, a few tens of meters to the, to the north. Did you say tens of meters? Or? Tens uh, to a hundred. I don't know exactly where it yeah, is because okay. it, it's under a bit of a package of till. Okay. Um, what tools have you got to map the geology? either through cover or at surface, you know, how much outcrop is there? Does yep. the geochemistry help? Does the geophysics help? You know, what, what, what are your, what are your handles? Yeah. I mean, till's not working very well for geochemical signatures to go through it. It's kind of a late blanket that kind of obscures that. So we've been using geophysics and just regional structures to tie that in. But in terms of geophysics, we've done 3D IP over top of this, uh, this target. 
Uh, we've done airborne EM, um, airborne mag. And I think we're, we're looking at like ground-based EM this year as well to kind of advance it. But so far, at least to identify the, the competency contrast between the andesite and the siltstone, uh, 3D IP works really well at identifying that contact. And it doesn't get distracted by all of the pyrotite and the pyrites that, see, that seems, you know, it's a sulfur-rich system. You've got a lot of metal mm-hmm. there. Yeah. Um, it, you know, is it not just kind of Christmas lights and fairy lights all over the place and you just don't know where mm-hmm. you are? No, no, because the, the mineralization that we see along the contact isn't that rich in sulfides. It's those the, the veins that are oblique to it, like the blueberry vein that are very rich. And they're quite small relative to the rest of the scale of this. So, you know, four meters wide versus something that's kilometer long. Um, they, they don't really obscure it. And just the, the regional footprint of the andesite against the siltstone, we're able to see that contrast in the IP data. Do you have a kind of um, a resistivity signal as well? You know, are the siltstones more resistive than the the andesites, or or is it? Yes, is it, it, it's it's particularly down to the IP that the the, the um, it's, it's, it's it's a bit of both between the chargeability and the resistivity. Um, we can kind of come up with a signature to, to differentiate the two units. Okay. Do you have mag over it? Have we got ground mag? And um, we don't have we don't have ground mag. We have airborne mag over top of the area. Does that does that help? Um, or is it too it, wide spaced? Yeah, it's it's. Two, there's a lot of magnetite in the andesite itself. And so, I mean, we're, we're able to get regional structures out of it and we're able to get the dike events out of it as well. Um, but it doesn't seem to correlate well with mineralization. Where does this contact sit relative to kind of one of these regional north-south structures? Is it, you right know, in the middle you... of one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> So it's so it's plumbing system and everything. It's all it's all right there. Yes. Yeah. And like the in terms of a heat engine and a fluid source, um, we've got the mm. Summit Lake stock, which is part of the Texas Creek uh, system, which is the main driver for like KSM to the north of us, Seabridge's KSM, uh, Predium's Bruce Jack Mine, uh, Ascot to the south. It's it's the intrusive suite to be in in the area, and that's just a couple hundred meters off of. Uh, both the Scotty gold mine and this blueberry target that we're working. And presumably the guys in the 1980s were Fats Domino fans. Because they were, pardon me? Fats Domino fans. Because <laughs> of the dominoes? The domino target and Blueberry Hill. And um, yeah, <laughs> I'd ex- I expect if you could kind of go through some of their other names, that you'll probably dig out some other Fats Domino. Rela- um, <laughs> was it Fats Domino who sang um, on Blueberry Hill? No, it wasn't. I'm not sure about that. I mean, Domino, I think we had a lot of targets over there. They were named after Van Morrison songs. I think they're Van kind Morrison of different. Zones. Yeah. I found my freedom. Was it on Blueberry Hill? I found my freedom on Blueberry Hill. <laughs> I'll um, look it up. I think it was Fats Domino. Anyway, um, digression. So tell me more about the Summit Lake stock and the kind of the regional geological context um, you know, what kinds of systems are these? Is it structure related or litho- lithology? I mean, here you're talking about kind of lithological controls linked yeah. to structure. Yeah. Uh, are all, is, is the mineralization in this area kind of in, in, in this kind of in the neighborhood kind of broadly related? There's a lot of variation. I mean, you've got KSM, which is a large porphyry system. You've got uh, Bruce Jack, which is a high grade epithermal system. You've got SK, which is a VMS. Um, you've got the SNP mine, which is kind of our closest analog to Scotty and Scotty itself is, you know, obviously with all the pure tight, it's reduced system compared to some of these others. 
uh, it's more intrusion related. You know, we've got these major crustal scale plumbing systems and the right, mm. the right intrusive phases in the area. Um, and, but there's a wide variation in the deposit style. You've also got Galore Creek, which is a, you know, a silica undersaturated alkaline deposit. And these are all within like 50 to 100 kilometers of each other. And it's just an incredibly endowed area. Uh, but there's a lot of variation in the deposit models that you're after. Have you done petrography and, and kind of some basic kind of mineralogical work looking at the petrogenesis? And the- yeah, we've got we've got two master's students working on that right now, um, looking at the, the detailed petrography of, you know, comparing Scotty to Blueberry and seeing what the, the, the relationship is between those two. Um, just, you know, they're on the basically on either side of this major north-south structure. And we're kind of figuring out what's, what's their relative vertical positions and laterals in a lateral sense. Like, is there a zonation pattern that we can use to identify other targets in the area? Right. Can you, could you just orientate me between Scotty and Blueberry? Um, have you got a map mm-hmm. that can sh- kind of show, show, show where they are geographically? Mm-hmm. Blueberry is kind of potentially a kilometer long. Is that kind of roughly what, I, I'm, what I'm hearing? Yeah, or well, well I mean, it's, it's open now. So if you, if you look at this map here, you know, this is the road to Ascot coming up here, this dark black line. You've got blueberry that's just off of the road. And what we've extended now, just based on our drilling, is 700 meters. But we follow that contact under the lake bed, and it basically dives under the lake bed, and we lose it. But we can extend it for another 400 meters to the south of that. So you, we've, got a, we've got that kilometer pinned down for a kilometer in length, or sorry, that contact pinned down for a kilometer in length. Can you show then, me with your mouse where you, what you've just been talking about? So can you just show me where the lake bed sediments are with your mouse? Yeah, so this on is that, the lake on the, on here. Map. Um, hang on. I can't see it. Where's, I'm just going to go it? back to it, another photo and you can... Uh, okay. So here is Scotty looking at it from the ground, from the major road. You've got Blueberry up at the valley end on the right-hand side. And you can see the lake bed is actually drained away. You can see the vegetation line up there on the right or the left-hand side. Okay. So the lake used to be up to that level when the mine operated in the 80s. And now it's since drained because of, there's a glacier just off screen to the left that pulled back and allowed the glacier lake to completely evacuate. And so now the lake bed is accessible. The drainage, the is, to the, the drainage is to the left of the picture. Exactly. Yeah. And so the blueberry okay. zone up here is basically striking straight along there under this lake bed. Okay, so it comes down past the A portal, past the tailings towards the... We, to... Yeah, we lose the contact under here, under these sediments. And, and then the, the Scotty gold mine here is in the center of the screen. So these are three portals to access this underground mine. The mill for the mine was actually built underground. So there's a cavern about a couple hundred meters into the 2,800 foot portal, which is where the mill operated out of. Okay, so that was presumably weather related, you know. So, um... Yeah, so you didn't, you didn't have to worry about the snow load or any avalanche risk during the winter time. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so interesting. So the 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 blueberry zone and the, the way it extends down the valley is a topographic low, and the Scotty zone is a it's a different style. Of, it's, it's, it's a different style of mineralization. It's is it more vein related or is it? Are you, yeah. you seeing the same kind of things? It's more vein related. It is. You know, it's in the middle of the mountain here. It's much more structurally controlled, uh, those veins. We don't have that lithological contrast. It's, it's in this undifferentiable um, package of, of volcanic rocks. It doesn't seem to have yeah, any lithological control. It's, it's primarily structure that, that controls the distribution of the vein sets in the, in the Scotty Gold Mine. In the coming season, where are you putting your meters? Where, 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 yeah. where, 
which gets the 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 focus so blueberry will get the focus this year that's just you know we've been advancing very quickly there we've got fantastic drill targets we're oh, globally we're planning a 15,000 meter drill program and of, of which probably about 12,000 will go into blueberry alone it's also our cheapest drilling because we are off the road we can use like a skid based drill so we don't need a helicopter to operate there um, when we drill Scotty or some of our other more exploration targets, uh, we need a helicopter just to kind of bump off the road to build a pad and to set up the machine. Yeah. Okay. That makes perfect sense. So it's um, not only is it uh, got enticing geology, but it's got um, easier access. Yeah. And being at the valley bottom, it's, we can access it earlier and later in the season. So it has a longer season. So, and, and we've been pretty fortunate last year, we uh, acquired an SGS uh mobile prep lab or we're able to use one up at site. So we're able to have quicker turnaround. So the, the holes that we drilled at the start of the, the year in 2021, we were able to receive the results back and then drill off those results. Um, and so that's a huge win for us and, and anybody working in the golden triangle to be able to drill off of results in the same season. About 12,000 meters going into the blueberry zone. Um, you're going to be testing it to the South. Will you be you're going up to the lake bed and presumably with your ability to, do the sample prep and get um, assay turnaround. You might, you know, you've got discretion in there to be able to flex your, yeah, um, flex your program. You've drilled the easy bits from the road. Does that mean yep. you're going uh, to have to get in between with skids and kind of bulldozers to kind of fill in the gaps? Yeah, it's not. It's not so much a challenge in terms of drilling. It was just where do you drill first? You drill where you know something's there, and so we drilled those spots first. Now you know we've got a hundred meters in between them. Let's. It's, it's easy to design a hole to go in between them and we have a really good control on where we expect that contact to be now. Is the kind of the mineralogy consistent across the strike that you've just defined so far across the 700 meters? Do you, do you now know when you're, would your geologists now know when they're coming into the zone because they can pick up the chlorotization or the kind of the intensity of alteration or whatever it is, you know, have you got your eyes keyed in and is it consistent? Yeah. Identifying the contact is very consistent across there. Um, the contact itself is usually uh, a meter and a half, two meters wide, like the pure contact right between the, the andesite and the siltstone. But mineralization, obviously, with the intercepts that you see extends well outside of that zone as well. Um, we've taken the approach to just sampling top to bottom on all of these holes because we get surprised every once in a while. But it's very easy to see when we when we make that contact uh, between the andesite and siltstone. And so usually extend, you know, 20 meters into the siltstone and then shut down the hole uh, unless we see some other favorable um veining that seems to extend out from the andesite into the siltstone what are your kind of indicators let's say you're you know you've, you've hit a you've hit a 35 meter wide intercept at one mm -hmm. one point yes um you know when you go back and you log that core with the results in your hand you go oh look there's x or you know what, what are the indicators mm -hmm. that kind of show you that you're starting that zone so you get this really black dark chlorotization you get disseminated pyrite and uh, puritite and little veinlets associated in stringers with that when you're getting closer to the contact itself, you're getting high high intensity uh, serotization right at the contact, which you know obviously indicates a lot of fluid flow through that area. And as basically as, as the rock quality improves, you know you're getting away from this this alteration, this this mineralization zone. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. When good. you can't tell what the rock is, that's the good spot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When you've got a good doubt whether it's a siltstone <laughs> or an andesite yeah. because it's got it's been overprinted. Yeah. And um, any indications so far on kind of um, grain size, kind of how the gold presents itself? Um, you know, is it 
uh, on microfractures? Is it kind of encapsulated in the pyrotite? Is it in the pyrite? You know, have you done any? I know you said you're you're doing the, the petrographic work at the moment, but you know, have, have have you had any kind of indication so far of where, where you are? At Scotty, I have some sense, and I'm just about to get a report from the the master's students at, at the end of the month here, where I'm going to get a better sense of what they've actually discovered at Blueberry. But at Scotty, it was it was all very very fine grained gold associated with the margins uh, around pyrotite and pyrite. Uh, as well as in the quartz carbonate. Um, it's it's very rare to see uh, VG in these holes. So whenever we've only seen it at Scotty, I think twice. And at Blueberry, we've actually hit it a, a few times um, at the north end of, of our structure there. When we started getting like the 36 grams over almost 12 meters, we started seeing VG pretty regularly. But it basically requires us to have over 100 grams per ton um, in grade before we start seeing VG in these samples. So it's a great sign when we see VG. It's not, uh, yeah, uh, but yeah, yeah, very fine grain, well disseminated gold associated with sulfide seems to be the the, the trademark for Scotty. Okay, well that'll be an interesting uh, report when you get that back. To me, it sounds as if kind of the all the upside this year is going to come from um, from Blueberry. Scotty's got potential. It sounds slightly harder. You know, it, it sounds as if there's a mineralized system there, but you're going to go for the uh, the low-hanging fruit, so to speak, because blueberries wide open and it needs thrilling. Yeah, I mean, one of the advantages of Scotty, though, if you look at Scotty, is historically it produced 16.2 grams a ton. And that was the recover grade. If you look in the tailings, we've done quite a bit of sampling in the tailings. There's about 2.2 grams a ton in the tailings from like we've taken over 100 samples. So the head grade for the mine was between 18 and 20 grams a ton when it operated. If you look at you know, other mines in the area that are operating similar underground mines like Ascot, I think they're going to be having three or four different mines operating. The cutoff grade that they're using is three to four grams. And when Scotty operated, it was 10 grams. So yeah. if you take the existing drill database at Scotty and you drop the cutoff grade from 10 grams down to three or, three or four, there ends up being this huge mineralized halo around the existing ore body. So kind of a a big chunk of the work at Scotty's already been done for us. You know, just reinterpreting the old data and doing QAQC and validating the old holes. I mean, you can come up with a resource that goes around Scotty just on that. The upside for us in drilling is drilling big holes way away from that at Scotty. So that's kind of what we're doing, looking for bigger shoots. Um, but as at the same time, blueberries just on a per meter basis is just so much more prospective for us. It's, it's at surface, um, you know, it's on a road and, it, and it's cheaper to drill. Are you going to do that wraparound study? Are you Are going to kind of reinterpret the Scotty data? Because surely that would be a kind of a valuable exercise, even if it's a, a desktop study or a, um, a, a yeah. low input study. Yeah. So we've done that in that low impact down the desktop ballpark number, just to kind of see where we're at. It's, it's a non-compliant number at this point. Um, but we now know what we need to do to make it a compliant resource. Um, and then from that, you know, we're looking at blueberry and then we're targeting something in, in excess of a million, a million ounces before we, we go to drill these things off. So, so across the two or a million ounces each is kind of a, I, I'm, I mean, I'm not, uh, either or, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I, I'd be happy with 2 million. Uh, like, yeah. like right now with blueberry, I mean, our, you know, like our deepest hole hit 13 meters of 15 grams. Like we don't know how deep it goes. Uh, there's no limitation at depth on this. It's a very uh, near vertical structure that we're targeting. So we're going to push it down at depth and then a long strike. And so, I mean, you, you can easily see something that's over a million ounces just at Blueberry with, you know, 
we can put a framework like a skeleton together that's going to show that we have that pathway there. And then Blueberry or Scotty is an add-on to that, um, just based on the historic drilling alone. Um, contact between the siltstone and the andesite isn't going to end at a cross-cutting fault. It might be displaced, but logically, one would expect that there's a you know that this is a regional feature. Or yes, a, yeah, m- maybe not even a regional feature, but a kind of a um, relatively persistent local feature. So that th- that should have also geological potential as well. Or kind of totally exploration yeah, potential de- depends on the timing of that faulting relative to the mineralization. So we're kind of investigating that where we have the offset. Uh, we've largely got it pinned down and we have a great soil anomaly over top of it, but we haven't drill tested that yet. Like the northern extension of Blueberry where, where the offset the, the, happens. So Thomas, you were just saying that uh, you're targeting kind of 400 meters as your depth extent as the kind of the, 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 the target. So 50 meter step backs. And are you doing 100 meter line spacings? Uh, so effectively, are you... Are you systematically drilling this out now? Yeah, I'd say we're systematically drilling it out. Um, We are using the road. So we're limiting where we're putting pads just for ease of moving around. Um, But we are trying to drill as perpendicular to the structure as possible, utilizing those structures. And yeah, 50 meter step downs along the structure is kind of what we're we're targeting to push it down to about 400 meters depth this year. Great. And just if you kind of, if we block it out in kind of quarters, so we're we, you know, we're in the, the start of, um, we're in the second quarter at the moment and the second half of the year coming through. Can you just kind of give me an indication of when you get started with the drilling, uh, when you expect your first assays back and um, just kind of give me some shape to the year. That'd be quite useful. Yeah. So, I mean, at the end of the week here, I'm going up and we're going to do a relog program and some of the bigger hits that we had this year and just kind of better understand the rocks that we had. And then we're aiming to start drilling in mid-June this year. And basically first assays are kind of expected in early to mid-August this year. And then we'll have continuous news flow, I expect, until December, January in terms of, of uh, drilling results coming out, if the labs kind of are consistent with what we had last year. Great. Well, um, good luck. What fun. It sounds, sounds really exciting. It's just the kind of stuff I like. Great. Thanks, Merlin. Thanks for having us.